I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 25, Marianne and the Search for Tigger. It is really unfortunate that I am starting off our one-sentence summary today. (laughs) Unfortunate? I don't know what's coming. Well, my summary is not a real summary. It's not a plot summary. It's like a summary of my rage, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Is it one sentence? Just keep it a one sentence. It's a very succinct rage. My summary, my one sentence summary is Logan's developing masculinity is so fragile. Wow, that's really good. I realize that it centers Logan, which is part of the problem, but I mean, we'll get into it. Yeah. He's a he's a problem in this fic. I hate Logan. <laughs> okay. Um my summary is Tigger goes missing and Logan sucks. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Mine's um, a little bit more expanded, but along a similar theme. Logan's little sister steals Tigger and gets rewarded for it, while Logan pouts because he's crappy at baseball. Nice. Yes. Logan yeah. is crappy at baseball. <laughs> I know. I don't, even, I don't even know if that's true or how oh. I would possibly verify that. But He was really great back in Louisville. Well, you're in Connecticut now, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Okay, wait, you guys. We should probably tell you about the members of the podcast before we trash Logan anymore. I'm Anna a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual, and I like health food. <laughs> Can never get through it. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you should check out our prologue episode. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, shoot us a review or a rating. It helps people find us. If you have any questions, comments, commentary, anything BSC-related, drop us a line at stockinstonybrook at gmail.com. We actually do have some listener feedback this week. It's been a little while since um, we've shared some of that. And we got this fantastic letter from Maria over in Italy um, So uh, at our Gmail. So I wanted to read it to you guys. It says, Dear Anne, Emily, and Esme, just writing to say how much I love the podcast. I was born in 1990 in a small, underprivileged town in southern Italy. I loved to read but didn't have access to a library nor a bookshop, so I had to make do with whatever book could be found at the newsagents. BSC included Lucky Me, or at least the first 50-ish books that were translated into Italian. Trivia for you, and I did not know this, each book included included a sheet of nail tattoos? I need those immediately. (laughs) I don't even paint my nails. Sometimes I do, but I want them. Yeah. If any um, Italian BSC fans are around and can hook us up with some BSC nail tattoos, that's kind of incredible. Uh, Maria goes on to say, the BSC was a big part of my childhood and tween years. I was a very lonely only child and baby gay and Stony Brook was like a safe haven. However, I've never met another BSC fan in real life because the BSC was never really capital A, capital T, a thing here. That's why podcasts like yours make my inner baby Maria's heart sing. It's like I can finally have a conversation with friends about a series that was so important to me and probably played a significant role in it, in shaping my personality and values. And adult Maria is also happy with the articulate, stimulating content. So it's a win-win. Keep up the good work. And then there's a PS just for Emily. Not to sound creepy or anything, but just in case you need a small boost of esteem, I have a huge crush on your voice. Eyes emoji. I love that so much. It's wonderful. <laughs> Um, I had a good eyebrow raise going on that yeah. postscript there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. happy you're enjoying it, Maria. Yeah. <laughs> it being the podcast and my voice. <laughs> yeah. I assumed you were just referring to your voice. <laughs> no, no. The, uh, I also participate in making the podcast. <laughs> fair enough. It's true. Uh, for people that want to hear more of Emily's bo- voice and podcasts, she has a, a more, well, I don't know if more serious is is correct, but certainly more, more academic. More academic. Uh, podcast called Always Already, where you can hear much, much more about queer theory and lots of other things that she talks about on our podcast with much bigger words, um, if you're interested. So you can check That's them true. out wherever you subscribe. Yeah, its own its own language, arguably, critical theory. Yes. 
So thanks for that, Maria. And thanks to everybody that's rating and reviewing us and sending us notes. We really appreciate it. So when we're not doing the podcast, we have a group text right now. What is it called? Bart is hot. Bart is hot. It was changed from... Krakatoa is an atheist. Yes, Mm -hmm. to Bart is hot recently. For a long time, it was just untitled BSC project. That's true. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Long after we had titled the show and begun Mm -hmm. recording it. I think I'm the person who has changed it every time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's fine. I'll change it again in like three months. So the other day, Esme sent us a link to a video where Jenna Bush was interviewing Anna Martin on the Today Show. And it was just kind of catching up with her and how much the books meant to Jenna growing up to her and her sister. And she had asked Anna Martin the question, what do you think the BSC members would be doing today? Which is, I feel like it's a pretty popular question to ask Anna Martin. Mm -hmm. And she gave answers that were pretty, I would say, predictable. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, Marianne was a teacher. Uh, Christy was like a businesswoman. Claudia's doing art. Yeah. Um, So then... We all started texting each other uh, about, like, what did we think the members of the BSC were doing today? Here's the thing. Okay. I just don't buy. I think that Anna Martin's predictions about sort of where are they now kind of left the babysitters still in the 90s or the late 80s, early 90s. Mm. That it's like the, the economic landscape of like what jobs are looks so different now. I was like, I don't, there's no way that it'd be that rosy. Like, I guess, I guess like probably because they're upper middle class and white, like things would be good enough. But there's no way that like at least some of them don't have some amounts of like crushing student loan debt or like that some of them didn't have some tumultuous like personal thing go on or like have a career change when like the industry that they once worked in suddenly doesn't exist anymore or that like most of them aren't totally you know freelance or get working in some sort form of gig work that's like in the spirit of something that they would would have been more stable in the time that Mm -hmm. the books were originally written like come on yeah, I think Emily's and your initial rejoinder was like none of those jobs exist anymore. Anne <laughs> in all capital letters, no e. So addressing Anne and Martin, not Anne Ichikawa. Correct. Yes. <laughs> none of those jobs exist anymore, Anne. Yeah. <laughs> what were the original jobs again? So Marianne's a teacher. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she said Dawn um, was like working for some kind of nonprofit, like mm. some some you know working hopefully working on climate change. Um, Jesse dancing, Claudia doing art, maybe also teaching art, but still involved in art. Um, I think actually she said Christy was the head of a nonprofit also. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And then she, and Mallory was a writer, a children's writer. Um, but you know, it was I, things she said before, I think in mm-hmm. other interviews, there was nothing particularly revelatory about it. Oh, this is why I said Don probably barely got a PhD, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so Anne, t- Anne took it dark right away. Yeah, I, so we all kind of gave our hypothetical predictions of what they had become current day, not like of the 90s or the 80s. And mine is, I feel kind of bad about what I said now. Um, but I'm going to just you can't I'm take it back to it. So you committed it to writing. It's too late. <laughs> I said, Christy is a real estate agent. Ouch. Sorry, Christy. Marianne is <laughs> Sorry, any listeners that are real estate agents. Yeah, wow, Anne. <laughs> Stacy's living in her parents' apartment. Sure. Uh, Claudia sells paintings and incense on St. Mark's. <laughs> Mallory works at a content mill. So she's writing, you know. Um, <laughs> Jesse teaches a YouTube Zumba class. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jesse. Yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with Zumba. Anyone out there? But there is something wrong if you're a real estate agent. Anne hates you. Hey, I will say that in this text, I give no opinions, self-opinions about any of this. It's just, I just threw it out there. It's not true. Yeah. And then Don has a no-way stand at the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. And of course, Janine is a physicist. Janine is a physicist. (laughs) That's the only one that is like timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Physicists still exist. My predictions skewed very specific to New York City right now for people from a little bit younger than me to like a decade older than me. Um, and I, I had a, I had a lot of details in mind. My, I predict that Christy works for Zog Sports and lives in South Park Slope with six roommates. 
there might there might be many listeners to whom this means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be happy to elaborate <laughs> in follow-up emails if folks have questions for me. Okay. I predict Marianne did TFA in the South for two years and then teach moved back to NYC. Yeah, sorry, Teach for America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then moved back to the city to work at her dad's law firm. Claudia and Stacy live in Bushwick. They both teach yoga. <laughs> Claudia shares a loft studio space for her painting and graphic design. And Stacy's thinking about going to business school. <laughs> Yeah, she's just thinking about it though. She yeah. hasn't made a move. Yeah. <laughs> she's fair. not studied for whatever the GMAT yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Mallory started on the creative side in an advertising agency and somehow found herself in sales, but she lives in Fort Greene and has the nicest apartment, so she can't complain to her friends about it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse yeah. teaches YouTube Zumba classes. Uh, <laughs> and then I said, uh, Don is a bartender who lives in Greenpoint and she helps to run some kind of co op. <laughs> Yeah, that seems sort of right to me. <laughs> yeah, but she's she's like an activist on the side, though. I feel like she's like at all the protests and everything for the last few years, and she's like raising. Lots yeah, of totally. Money and, and like really, you know, a member of her community in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel like in Emily's description, Christy kind of does the worst. <laughs> yeah, like what yeah. does work for Zox Sports mean? <laughs> Like, she works for the corporation. She like organizes the whole, all the different leagues and like puts together social events. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a big. It's a big group. They run yeah. so many leagues. Yeah, Zog Sports is a recreational sport league okay, in New York City. I th- got- actually, I think it's all over the country. I don't think it's just specific to New York City. <laughs> I think it's like an actual recreational sport corporation. Okay, <laughs> Zog Sports. If you want to sponsor the podcast, you can let us know. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, then we you, uh, most of this took place while I think I was cooking dinner or something because I came back to you know four thousand texts between you and Emily about this. We got into the the young men of Stony Brook. Um, let's let's save Logan for last because he features prominently in the book today. Um, Anne pointed out, uh, I think sharply, that Alan Gray works for Google. I think that's probably true. One hundred percent. You had a very specific theory about Jeff Schaefer. I did. Yeah. Loosely based on someone I actually went to college with. Oh, okay. <laughs> I predicted that Jeff is the only successful one. Successful in the traditional capitalist scripts, mm-hmm. like, makes a lot of money. He's a pro skater who has a book club on Instagram and who reads, like, good, smart feminist books. And he always talks about how, like, his mom and his, and his sister are such an influence on how he sees the world. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, such a cliche. Oh, no yeah, offense right? to your friend. Yeah, we got to tag, tag that guy. Hi, Emily. Yeah. It's old college buddy. Walker Ryan. <laughs> I'm Walker. <laughs> okay. And then, of course, Bart is like uh, some dream boy out of a college romance book or movie. Like what mm-hmm. you said, Bart's, Bart got super woke in college. Yeah, but he's like super guilty about growing up in a hashtag mansion is what I said. <laughs> <laughs> he, forfeited his, he forfeited his trust fund and he works as a researcher at the Vera Institute, <laughs> which works isn't like a... Do you guys know what the Vera Institute is? I've heard of it, mm-hmm. but I don't know. What's it's like about. a social justice nonprofit that works on like prison reform and all kinds nice. of stuff. <laughs> and then I said he organizes talks at Verso Books in his spare time, which is like a Marxist lefty publishing house. <laughs> but also he doesn't work that much and he likes to have fun. <laughs> okay, so basically this is Emily's dream man. <laughs> dream person, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh... Also, he's still hot. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so we said last week or two weeks ago that um, when we were doing our sort of BSC naming of our um, president elect and vice president elect that Joe Biden was a Logan. And I'm uh, like, after today's book, I hope we could dial that back a little bit. I'd like to promote him to like maybe an Alan Gray or a Pete Black rather than a Logan. But we'll see how the next few years go. TBD. Yeah. You, you had a lot of thoughts about Logan, both of you. Well, Emily had a lot to say about Logan. I didn't have that much to say. Well, you did say that he still wears rugby shirts in 2020 and that his wife's name is Karen. (laughs) Yeah, I did say that. Okay. Yeah, I predict he's a Trump supporter who married the first girl he met in college. Karen. Her name's Karen? (laughs) Her name's Karen, yeah. He moved back to the South, but he moved to like Atlanta, not to Louisville. So he can like, he's like, I live in a cosmopolitan city. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) Yeah, that feels more true he's not not an all lives matter guy you know yeah oh yeah you had a whole thread about how he doesn't understand 
why anybody would engage in looting behavior. But he thinks yeah, I mean, he understands that that BLM means that Black Lives Matter, but like, do they really have to destroy small businesses? You know, why can't we just all get along? Mm-hmm. I think I think my pr- Logan predictions were wholly validated by this book. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, all right. So back to the book. Tigger goes missing. Logan's like, who cares? Not very helpful. Um, and then eventually they find Tigger, and it turns out that Carrie Bruno has been hiding him in her room to prove that she's responsible enough to have a pet. That's the the main that's the main plot of this book. There's also some weird kid that no one seems to know, even though they all live in the same neighborhood, who like tries to extort a hundred dollars out of Marianne, mm-hmm. who like that's true. has never seen the kitten, and leaves a ransom. And then note. and then Logan tries to like orchestrate this whole plot where he like intimidates this guy into giving back the kitten with some fake money and in response to a ransom note like what the fuck yeah there's like a whole sting operation for sure so em do you have a few thoughts on this book i just hate logan (laughs) is that all so moving on to my my portion then (laughs) well no i just think it's like we talked about how sort of jokingly talked about how he kind of gaslights marianne in the first book and increasingly does this weird you know, sort of talks about her in this way, um, you know, just doing this until something better comes along, our favorite line, our favorite mm-hmm. Logan line. But this book is just like a whole, it's such a classic, like heterosexual relationship dynamic that Marianne totally internalizes all of his reactions and responses to how, um, to like what's going on in her life right like he she's like upset and he's distant and and then it turns out all along that like he sucks at baseball and so he's just like taking it out on her which i feel like is just such a worn dynamic in straight Mm -hmm. relationships but like we're not learning anything about logan's internal life i guess yet there's supposedly there's some books that he narrates later but i don't care about him as a character at this point so i don't want to know what his internal life is like he doesn't deserve my <laughs> my, my care. Stay tuned I know he's next a kid. Week. Stay tuned next week for Super Special Two, in which we get several chapters written by Logan. Damn. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like he—it's such a classic example of fragile masculinity, right? That like something is up in his world that's like threatening his status, right? Mm-hmm. His social status, his whether symbolic or real, right? Like his um, sort of relationship to baseball is like important to him, but also he might literally get kicked off the team and he's like dealing with the sort of threat of that. But it just like completely closes him off to everything else. And he's like, oh, well, I'm not paying attention to you because I'm totally like involved in my own thing. And like, Mm -hmm. I, and that he has that moment where he's like embarrassed at Mariana being upset. Like, can you stop, like, stop making a scene? You're acting like such a girl. Oh yeah. So like his... His bullshit, like, you know, reaction to her is all tied up in his own insecurity around baseball, which has fucking nothing to do with Marianne. And he takes it out on her in this, like, completely sexist, uh, like, by deploying this completely sexist script and criticism of her, which is, like, wildly fucked up. And she spends a whole book agonizing over, like, whether or not she's lost both her kitten and her boyfriend. And he, like, could not care less about how he's made her feel. Well, there's that one part in the book where at the end of the book where she's like, oh, we got into a fight and she's super nice to him. She gets him the soda that he likes and puts the ice in the glass. I was so pissed. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, what the fuck are you doing, Marianne? No. It's at this point where she still thinks that he may have known the whole time that his little sister had her kitten and she thought he was dead. And she thought Logan might have been keeping this secret. It turns out he was not, but she didn't know. And in prep for him to come over and talk, she like does all of this like wifey, wifey, nicey, nicey stuff. And it was really heartbreaking. Uh, uh, Deeply upsetting. Yeah. I hate Logan. Well, I also got a little, even though I feel like he redeems himself in this book a lot, I got mad at Richard for that. Um, not no, Logan doesn't redeem himself. Richard Spear redeems himself. I think I see, I see. how he handles Tigger being missing, mm-hmm. but I yeah. got, I blame Richard for Marianne's 
like method of approaching that conversation, right? Because she's mm-hmm. been trained up to like make sure that her dad is like as pleased and as comfortable as possible before she asks for anything that she might want and all those kinds of things. So yeah, his comfort is to... at the center of her emotional life. Yeah, which is like so, and like it it like dictates her behavior and it's like oh it's so fucked. It's just like everything. All of her experiences keep coming back to like how the men in her life are reacting to her, which I just like despise. And again, I think Richard rose to the occasion a little bit in this book in terms of really helping look for Tigger. And there's a there's a scene where the BSC is putting flyers all over town and he pulls up and he offers to take them to like the grocery store and the post office and a few other places and put them up. And but even in that moment, Marianne's like, really? Like he doesn't like to ask people for favors. He doesn't like to put people out. And to his credit, he's like, of course, anything for Tigger, like, let me help. Like he he pushes back against that internal monologue she has, but it's that exact thing you're talking about, Emily, that she's making sure that they're all comfortable. Yeah, it's gross. I don't like it. <laughs> that particular moment where he attempts, where Logan attempts to shame her for being sensitive I, struck me as really weird, too, because not that it makes it okay, but I would have understood a little bit more if it was like at school or in front of some of his guy friends, but it's literally at a meeting of the babysitters club and the yeah. other girls are answering the phone. And she says, while the others are busy on the call, Logan looked over at me and whispered, Marianne, would you calm down? You're being so sensitive. You're acting like such a girl and girls in italics. Um, and he's like in a room of six girls, like, and has He's been in a invited. girl's room. Yeah. <laughs> so it just struck me as really odd. And, but, to, you know, to Marianne's credit, she does stand up for herself, herself there. She says there's nothing wrong with being sensitive. And besides, I am a girl. Yeah. But it just seemed odd. I just think it's surprising that, like, I, I feel like this sex, like, Logan's sexism is not even being interrogated. It's just, like, accepted as a kind of dynamic of relationships between boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that moment is the only moment where the book recognizes that there's something about the fact that he's a boy and she's a girl that's at stake. But, like, in the end, it's like, oh, we were just misunderstanding one another and, like, everything's fine, even though she sort of, like, reaches out to him with in, in accordance with all these, you know, scripts that kind of leave that asymmetry and power intact. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I don't know. I'm surprised by that. I feel like I, I don't remember. This has been the most shocking thing about the reread so far is, like, how blatantly sexist Logan is and how little the book like takes him a task for it it's just like part of part of it Mm -hmm. I don't know do you find that surprising Anne having grown up at this same time like on the rereads not yeah uh I mean I feel like they were written that way that like boys were written that way in 1989 Mm, I mean I don't I'm not surprised that boys are written this way in 1989 but I'm not surprised I didn't pick up on it when I was a kid because I feel like I've I consumed a lot of media and that was like I I was until I was older that I was like dude that guy was a total piece of shit like mm-hmm. you know Jordan Catalano or Dan you know, Fielding on Night Court yeah or, <laughs> you know or like uh you know like Ethan Hawke in the in Reality Bites Reality yeah, Bites Troy like, Dyer fuck that guy. Watch that movie again. You should not end up with Troy Dyer. <laughs> yeah, like you think he's cool when you're young, but now you're like, God, oh, what a piece of shit, you know? So, but I, I am surprised that Anna Martin wrote Logan so blatantly kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. Why did she give Marianne a boyfriend like that? Yeah. Who wasn't, like Marianne is always described as very sensitive mm-hmm. and he attacks that. Realistically, Marianne should not be with a person who sees her sensitivity as a weakness. And he benefits from it, right? Like she yeah, he gets cookies and soda. She's the sensitive one who placates him, his feelings, right? Mm-hmm. She like at one point she says, I think this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And he tells her to stop being so dramatic. And I just think of her as this, you know, Tigger solved this huge problem for her, right? As this lonely only child with this like distant father who 
works late and she's by herself so much of the time. And then she literally thinks he's dead. And Logan's like, yeah, stop it with your drama, mama. Fuck Logan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious about what Emily thought of on page 12 when Logan um, confronts the kid who's trying to like extort them for the, for the monopoly money or whatever. And he goes, do you know that this is a felony? And he's like, in the state of Connecticut, it's punishable by 25 to 50 years in the slammer, even for juvenile offenders. Oh, well, and the the best part of that page is Marianne's narration between Logan's lines of dialogue. <laughs> I have no idea whether this is true, since Logan can make things up pretty easily, but it sure sounded good. Just like the uh... confidence to just fucking lie or just say something that you have no idea to be true as though it's true and then like manifest, like make it true by just declaring mm-hmm. it. It's just like, oh, God, I know so many fucking men like that that I want to murder. <laughs> Sorry, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Emily's not going to actually murder anybody. She doesn't have any means. I don't have to do a Tarasoff warning for those psychologists listening. Also, like, what did you think about in this, in a normal, if Logan wasn't in this book, Christy would have kind of taken charge, which she kind of did by starting, by putting up the posters and stuff. But Logan, I feel like really take charge of the whole this is this is the difference right this is this is why you know emily can't get through her intro without laughing but this is why my intro says i'm kind of bossy but i have a big heart right like christy's not taking over to take over and she's not taking over to like show off she's taking over because she's like this is tigger it's really important like she's ready to go put up posters at eight in the morning you know she sends her mom back to stanford to the office to make the copies on a friday night because marianne's her best friend Mm -hmm. and she'll do whatever she needs to for her right yeah i guess like i feel like logan quieted christy in in this moment which i thought was interesting like i feel like that wouldn't have happened really well, I think it's also like it's his plan, right? And he's like, and this is also too, right? The only moment in the book where he's actually participating in something and it's to do this weird ma- masculine flex, right? Like I'm bored at your tears. I'm bored at your drama. But like, oh, there's a, a moment of intrigue where like we can extort the extortionist. Like I'm in, like let's <laughs> fucking like, like fuck the cops, man. They're just going to screw everything over. We got to handle this ourselves. Like, and it's like the only time he participates. Well, so, okay. I I don't feel like being a Logan apologist today, but I will, (laughs) I, I really don't, but I will, I will hold the other side of that one, which I think is, that is him trying to help. And if we buy the fact that he's like super stereotyped, like toxic masculinity dude, the way the you know the way things fall along traditional gender binary lines when someone is having a hard time is that quote unquote men try to help and women validate and listen to the emotions right and of course there are way more exceptions to that than um than one may think from hearing a generalization like that but that is if you are raised more along the binary to to be more traditionally masculine that is how more you know men who are rated as more masculine are more likely to jump into problem solving when someone has a problem so i actually do believe this was him trying to help marianne and him being concerned right but he it's doesn't not know how to express it in a reasonable way and so he does but it's also thing. that what he that what he sees as an opening for problem solving is this like thing that's also right like he's thinking about action films which are you know like things he's learned from watching cop shows or detective shows or whatever which are like rampant with you know different scripts for like how to be masculine what masculinity means and Mm -hmm. so like that that like his mode of problem solving is not only just a, a demonstrated sort of function of upbringing according to particular you know requirements for masculinity or femininity or according to the gender binary that like that what the action is is also playing into this entire kind of like masculine realm of being or like perceived masculine realm of being is like nomination pretty yeah 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 it's like in that sense it has like the meta meta masculinity and the the yeah. like con- con- content masculine content plus he gets the benefit of like you know using tools of the state to intimidate this child that tried to get a hundred bucks from them yeah police are gonna get you man 
Yeah. I'm going to go to jail. Citizen's arrest. Ugh. Anyway. So what did you make of the fact that Dawn is the one who initially expresses sympathy for Logan when Marianne's mad at him? I don't know. I, I was just like rage reading it. <laughs> I don't really understand. Sometimes there are Dawn moments where I'm like, I don't, this doesn't feel like a Dawn thing, but what does she say again? <laughs> because it doesn't feel like an Emily Crandall thing. Yeah, I would never do that. <laughs> Be like, fuck that guy. We're blurring the lines between Emily and Dawn here, everybody. Okay, um, Christy. Oh yeah, well, you saw how many ways that I dropped everything I own before this podcast started. I am not Christy in many ways. Um, Marianne calls her to complain oh, yeah, about yeah. Logan. And she uh, it's at the bottom of 103. Here, why don't, why don't you be Dawn, Emily? And... And why don't you be Marianne? Uh, poor guy. Poor guy? He's been impossible. He's unpredictable, and he certainly hasn't been very understanding or sympathetic lately. He's having a hard time on the ball field. He is? Well, he did once anyway. I happened to be watching practice, and he dropped a ball that he caught and had right in his mitt. The coach yelled at him, and his teammates teased him. So he had a bad day. That's it, really. Yeah. And end. And... I feel like Don's just trying to make Marianne feel better about his behavior. Well, and and right to be like the way he's acting is not about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that still gives him an out, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess I don't know. Not always, because you could be like you can you can hold someone accountable for the way that their behavior affects you, and recognize that like you, why they're that like you're not why they're doing it. I don't think so. Mm. <laughs> that doesn't sound right, Emily. Like, yes, of course. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of interesting that Logan, you know, he has he's having a hard time on the baseball field. So he's letting that, you know, affect him. He can't express his emotions and it's making him cranky and be like kind of rude to Marianne and distant. And it's interesting that he explains how his coach has been really hard on him. Mm-hmm. And then he kept on doing worse. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously some he's having some emotional like he can't I don't know what's the word what's the correct word for what Logan is experiencing Dr. Scheller I again I'm not really feeling like diving into Logan today very much but I think I mean it just sounds like anxiety to me right mm-hmm. like yeah that's what I was he, thinking he's in his head I mean you you sports you sportsmen would know better than me <laughs> Um, but uh, that's the thing, right? You get too much in your head and you're not in your body enough. And then you start messing up. And that's Mm -hmm. how I, that's how, that's the only way I know how to play sports, but apparently people can do it in a different way where they're not anxiety the whole time. Yeah. Sounds like what what he's describing is just how you play a sport from where I'm sitting. (laughs) He just sounds like he can't handle the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think anxieties rings true. He is just 13 and this is probably his first relationship and he's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not liking it. Yeah. Well, it's funny when I am like picturing all these people in this book in my head while I'm reading it, they're always like so much older. I'm like picturing them as like 20 somethings. And then in my head, I'm like, oh wait, hang on. And they like shrink to be like 13 and I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. They're very young. They're very young. I'm just going to change her description at the beginning of the podcast to I like health food and I hate Logan. I'm a total individual and I hate Logan. (laughs) (laughs) So there wasn't a ton for me in this book other than like I really felt for Marianne. I think it, you know, Tigger is super, super important to her. And we get some foreshadowing about how she, you know, talks about him too much and kind of bores a lot of other people around her with saying he's so cute over and over again. But I think he really has, you know, improved her life kind of immeasurably. And so then to think that he might be dead and not know where he is is really, really scary. So I'm actually impressed with how strong she remained throughout it, because that seems like the kind of thing that could really break Marianne, um, given how sensitive she is. But I think we see that she's really strong as well at other times. Um, But the thing that jumped out at me is just like the Bruno family's reaction to Carrie's deeds here um, seemed like way, way too understanding on multiple levels. So basically, Logan's five-year-old brother 
Hunter, Hunter, right, mm-hmm. is a super allergic to everything, like Paul Pfeiffer type character who's just sneezing all the time. And Marianne babysits for him and Carrie, who's nine, right, uh, a few times. And he's like sneezing a lot more than usual. And Logan's mom is confused about it. And it's because Carrie has found Tigger and is like secretly keeping keeping him in her room and taking care of him there. And initially, she doesn't know that Tigger is Tigger, right? She thinks she just found a stray kitten. But then her rationale, when she finds out that it's Marianne's kitten, is like, well, Marianne obviously wasn't taking very good care of him because I just found him outside, like on Marianne's lawn, but outside by himself. So he'd be better off with me. And then she keeps him for like three or four more days. Yeah. Can we just talk about the logistics of that? Oh, just... Like she put a cat in a closet, which is not good. And like, where's the litter box? Where is this cat? What's going on there? The whole thing doesn't make any sense. And then they finally find him because poor Hunter found him earlier in the day. And then Carrie made him promise not to tell. But Hunter tells Marianne. And so then Marianne tells Mrs. Bruno. But then at at the end, there's this line where we're supposed to hear this from Marianne. She's updating the BSC and it's like, yay. It's like, she's going to be punished lightly, like has to wash the Bruno's car or something for keeping Tigger when she knew he belonged to me and for bringing an animal into the house, especially so near to Hunter's room. However, the Bruno's also think Carrie proves she's responsible enough to care for a pet. So tomorrow she and her parents will go to the pet store and Carrie will get to choose a hairless animal, like a turtle or some fish. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so talk we've seen some bad behaviorism in these books so far, but let's have a let's have a little conversation. <laughs> Cuz what she does is so like she seriously endangers her little brother. Like she's seeing him suffer. Like he can't even say Marianne. How does he say Marianne? Marianne. Yeah, Marianne. Like he can't speak um because he's so congested and like you know who knows you could go into anaphylaxis we don't even know he's like super allergic and then she's like watching the whole town look for this damn cat and she's just like <laughs> I, like what cat i don't have a cat like there's like many layers of problem and and the, logan and marianne chalk it up to she needs friends in town which sure that you know yes we can get an explanation for why kids might do things inappropriately but for based on what you guys know about positive reinforcement so far which lesson is carrie going to remember that she washed the car or that she got a pet i would say um pet yeah she's probably gonna get that car later in a couple years also (laughs) right also maybe she doesn't have friends because no one likes her because she sucks yeah, right. She she go hang out with Betsy Sobak. But um really though, you can't, you know, you can't reinforce and extinguish a behavior at the same time. And so and reinforcement is independent of intent. So all she is being taught by this is like if I am persistent enough and show my parents something that I think is true to the nth degree, eventually they will give in and, and get me a pet. I'm not saying they should never get Carrie a pet, but like so close to this incident is is really dumb. It's not effective. Don't buy your kid a pet when they steal someone else's pet. <laughs> Do you think Logan is a result of bad parenting? Possible? Uh, no, I just feel like it's a good old boy thing, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I I don't I I don't think we know enough about the Brunos for me to make a thing of a, you know make a prediction. I just think that the handling of the Carrie situation was terrible. Mm-hmm. Poor Hunter's living in his like barren jail cell room where there's no dust, and then he's like got cat dander blowing in from the room next door. Yeah, that's so sad. It's so sad. It's really messed up. Um, Logan's accent comes back briefly in this book. Oh yeah, you want to read? Would you like to here? demonstrate? <laughs> Um, sure. It's at the top of page 20. What's up? I asked him. I need a sitter. (laughs) Okay. That's it. (laughs) And take us out of all this Logan analysis. What, 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 what were you grooving on in this book? Well, first I would like to point out that Claudia was barely in this book. I know. And the only thing she really contributed was saying elbow Presley. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple Mimi moments. Yeah, there were a couple. I think she said eggplant at one point. 
I have a couple of fun things, okay. quote unquote fun. So the first <laughs> is I want to play a little fill in the blank game because at one point Marianne says, you little blank to this kid, you know, oh, who's to trying extortionist. to the extortionist. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if she could have finished her sentence, what, what that blank would have been. Piece of shit. That's not what Marianne was going to say. <laughs> twerp? I'm, yeah, maybe twerp, twerp. could be good. I was thinking she might pull a page from Morbida and like some, you know, older books she's read. Like, I feel like Secret Gardens type. Like, maybe she says Rapscallion. Mm, that's good. Or like Hooligan. Ooh, hooligan. Yeah. That seems like something Richard would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like poopy pants. <laughs> <laughs> sure um, i don't know about that one <laughs> i think actually twerp is probably what she would have said because i feel mm-hmm. like in her head that's like a mean word yeah it's like so, say. that's yeah. all she could have mustered at the time yeah i don't think she's i don't think she's using four little four letter words yet no probably not so. so since this book was you know, mainly about Tigger going missing. I was thinking about famous cats. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. So, you know, I was like, oh, like. Naturally. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of cats in storytelling uh, in pop culture and movies. So I started, I was like, how many, like, what are the most famous cats out there? So I made a little top 10 list. Okay. And I, I did I did make some parameters. So one is they cannot be real cats. So like okay. fictional cats? They just can't be like live cats. So like no grumpy cat. Okay. No no ah. no Morris the cat. Um I had okay. written down Mr. Bigglesworth from Austin Powers. Um, oh, but because but, it's played by a real cat, then it can't yes. be in there. Okay. Yes. Even though it's a real cat playing a fictional cat, it's still a real cat. So okay. it doesn't, yeah, yeah. So same with like the um, the cat that Alf was always trying to eat on Alf. That also doesn't yes. count. Okay, real cat. Okay. Um, another um, guideline I have is that um, they have to be like a cat, like as we like the domestic cat, as we you know as we have as pets. So it's like no no Tigger, like Poo Tigger, okay. a tiger. Mm-hmm. No Simba, Lion, okay. no Pink Panther, okay. uh, no Hobbs from Calvin and Hobbs, et cetera. Okay. Okay. So it's a domestic so, cat. It's a domestic cat. Okay. So I'm going to start at 10 and you guys can chime in if you have opinions. Okay. <laughs> okay. Number 10, Stimpy. Hold on. Hold on. Are they ranked from like worst <laughs> to least it's the not, best? <laughs> it's not, it's not worst. I mean, top 10 is all good. <laughs> Even okay. making on the list right. is great, but, but, they, but yes, the answer is they are ranked. Your 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 best cat is number one. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but I like all the cats. Okay. You know. <laughs> great. So yes, ten so is Stimpy. I'm running Stimpy. Sure. Okay. Um, number nine is MC Cat Scat Cat <laughs> from <laughs> from the Paul Abdul music video Opposites Attract. <laughs> yes. Okay. I don't know that cat. <laughs> okay. um, number so, eight. How, how do we know he's a domestic cat? <laughs> I mean, look him up. He clearly <laughs> is. Look him up. Well, okay. what do you think he could be? I don't know. He could be like a pink pant. Like he could be like a panther. He's not a panther as me. Okay. okay. Come on. All right. Sorry. His, number his nine. Name is MC Scat Cat. Okay. With a K. All right, I stand corrected. Okay, okay. Eight. We have Heathcliff. Oh, he's lower on the list than I thought he mm-hmm. was going to be. Okay, surprised me also. Uh, <laughs> you made the list. You made the list. <laughs> I know, but I rearranged the list several times. He oh. was higher at one point, and I moved yeah. him down to eight. Okay. <sighs> okay. So number seven, Felix the cat. Oh, Pretty see famous. It? Yeah. Okay. Uh, number six, Sylvester. Sure. Uh, number five, Tom, Tom from Tom and Jerry. Mm. Yeah, I put it. Would have put Heathcliff above Tom. I think. Really interesting. Yeah. Number four, Hello Kitty. She's not a cat. She's a little girl. If you watch that Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us, the like 
whole Japanese team that made her, including this one wild woman named Mama Kitty, everyone should watch this, says she's a little girl. She's an English girl and she has a pet cat herself. Okay, well, hold that. I have I have a list of honorable mentions. I can okay. move. I can take her out and shift up if I need to. Yeah. Number three, the cat from Cat in the Hat. Okay, sure. Number two, uh, the Cheshire cat from Alice in Wonderland. All right. And then and number one number- is obviously Garfield. Garfield, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So if we take out Hello Kitty... I have I have a few on my honorable mentions list. We have um, all of the Aristocats. Yeah, the I love them. Yeah, they should definitely um, be on the list. Figaro from Pinocchio mm. and Salem from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, mm. who looks like a cat but is not a cat. It's like a <sighs> it's like a puppet. It's like yeah. a I know he's switching him out, but whenever he's talking, it's like yeah. the fake cat. Right. Okay. That's a pretty comprehensive list. Tigger did not make the list. Yeah. Well, Tigger's, you told us Tigger wasn't allowed to make the list. No, Marianne's Tigger. Oh, Marianne's Tigger. Emily, do you, do you have any problems with Anne's list? I, I don't even know like half of those cats. <laughs> <laughs> I think MC Scat Cat is going to be your new favorite once you, okay. once you learn about him. We'll, we'll, Great. Post the, we'll post the video for everyone. I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> He's like a, ra- a rapping, dancing cat. Yeah, and like a it cartoon. Sounds like a good time. Too. Yeah, he's yeah. like everything time. I like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> rapping, dancing, and cats. <laughs> zoot suits. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you for that, Anne. I think that that was no like problems. yeah, there delightful. Were, you, you never moved Garfield around though, right? Garfield stayed at number one. Oh yeah, he started at number one. Yeah. yeah, I did have a hard time with like Tom and Sylvester and Felix. I feel like those were kind of tied. Five, yeah. five, six, and seven. But yeah, yeah, Cheshire was a good call for two. Did but. you know that Heathcliff was actually started before Garfield? No, I always thought mm-hmm. he was the poor man's Garfield. That's what they know. Yeah, that's what everyone thinks. Yeah, I liked the Heathcliff show. It wasn't as good as Garfield and Friends, but can you sing the? Song. Can you sing the theme song? Of course, I can. <laughs> really? You can sing the theme song, Anne? No, I don't remember the words. I'm, I know the tune. Heathcliff, Heathcliff, no one should terrorize the neighborhood. But Heathcliff just won't be undone, playing pranks on everyone. That's about all I could do. But yeah. wow, pretty good. Now do the Garfield and Friends theme song. That, that that had like four different theme songs. All right, you don't have to do that one. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. So okay, on to Claudia's candy. Mm-hmm. Got some Fritos, Doritos. Heath bars. I don't know if that's a new mention or not. I don't. It might I think be, it is. But I really enjoy a Heath bar. Yeah, me too. Um, so do I. M and M's. Whoa! Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, candy. Pause. pause. <laughs> this is really important. <laughs> wait, those are the ones that have toffee in them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I nice. like those. So, what does okay. this mean? I don't know. I guess we end the podcast. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think it means we're getting Heath bars for Christmas, and yeah, for sure. <laughs> We're getting Heath bars and that weird mall game. <laughs> it wasn't the mall game. It was the where's the beef where's game. Where's the beef? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have an eBay alert set. It has not shown up. I think. <laughs> and double stuff Oreos. And that's what we got for, for Claudia's junk food. What about Tally's? Tally's not nothing. Uh, not, you know, one almond shaped eyes, one individual, one health food. Too sophisticated coming back around. Haven't seen that one recently. And then... One bossy, but I think she was saying something about Christy actually not being bossy in that moment. I, I, it's interesting to me. You can see the relationships. Um, I think we're seeing this more over time. Like the way Claudia describes Stacy is very different from how all the other girls describe Stacy, mm-hmm. and I think the way Marianne describes Christy is is often much more nuanced. Um, you know, when she talks about her, like in the intro, she doesn't ever call her bossy. She says she's outgoing and she can be kind of loud, but she has a ton of idea. You know, she like says the sort of the positive attributes about Christy. And I think you can see in the closer relationships, less so with Mal and Jesse, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. yeah, that was there. Um, do you guys think my eyes are almond shaped? You literally asked us that on a different episode. <laughs> no, but really. Sometimes I look at my eyes and I'm like, are they almond shaped? I mean, I think all eyes are almond shaped. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Like I that's the shape of an eye. No, and and thinks our eyes look like quarters. I'm like, <laughs> like, like quarters. Ping pong, like ping pong balls to me. <laughs> look at my eyes. What shape are my eyes? <laughs> yeah. Do you do you want them to be almond shaped? No, I just feel like it's like everyone says her eyes are almond shaped. Like yeah. every single person all the time. I think it's a weird, like shorthand for describing a difference in eye that they don't know how to describe mm-hmm. <laughs> like why do our eyes mm-hmm. look different i don't know yours is shaped like an almond it's like what yeah. no yeah. i just that's like it- that's not what makes the eyes look different <laughs> yeah i find it interesting because um like they're trying i feel like they're trying to get across the point that claudia is asian mm-hmm. but just by saying she is asian is like describing what she looks like and then adding mm-hmm. the maybe like smaller eyes yeah but she's not just japanese american she's also incredibly beautiful and exotic mm-hmm. and she has porcelain skin despite yeah. eating all that junk food <laughs> okay <laughs> what what weirdest lines did you guys have i just had one um because it went so against my feelings in this book so i thought it was appropriate which is that marianne not once but twice describes logan as incredibly incredible so yeah that was mine i really liked when like one of Claudia's three lines of dialogue is just goes to show crime really doesn't pay. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Mine is when uh, Mary Ann and her dad first go look for Tigger on the night he goes missing. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Spears says, I'll go get the torches. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> like, I was like, what? Okay. The torches? Flashlights. Like, it's yeah. literally going out with like a torch. Or like a torch. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I like I'll go get the torches. Okay. Let's All right. It. Okay. <laughs> what should be pizza toast do? Not Logan. Not Logan. No. <laughs> Bart. No. Oh it's not even in this book. Um, <laughs> I mean, Tigger. Mm. Elbow Presley. Oh, yeah. That's good. Anne doesn't like that one, though, because it's one of Claudia's three lines of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, really? You don't you, you don't remember Elvis Presley? Elbow Presley? Elbow Presley. And it's make her dumber and dumber every book. I mean, truly. So are we know. doing Elbow Presley? Uh-huh. I don't want to do Elbow Presley. No. How about to like how sweet like Jamie and the Perkins girls are? about this whole thing no you guys hate that okay it's too um, sincere. <laughs> you want us to pizza toast to the babysitting charges absolutely not <laughs> let's pizza toast to famous cats all right okay sure you want to see it in the book <laughs> tigger's a famous cat marianne spears cat tigger he's famous great perfect pizza toast to famous cats to famous to cats. famous cats This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.